This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. All right, guys, Clash of the Champions, the Gold Rush 2020 is in the books. This is Top Rope Nation episode 176. I am your host, Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com, and I am not joined by Mr. Kyle Ross or Justin Joint tonight. Instead, I've got a very special treat for you all as we break down Clash of the Champions. You know, there was going to be some scheduling conflicts this week. I was available, and I wanted to get something out for the listeners, so I decided, or I thought to myself, who could I reach out to to get on the program? Maybe someone that has some really good insight into the pro wrestling world, maybe someone who's been on the program before. So I reached out to this guy, and he was very nice to come on the show for a third time. You may know him from the Pro Wrestling Torch, where he is the host of the VIP On the Canvas podcast, which I've guested on before on two occasions. It was a blast. He's also a columnist over on the Pro Wrestling Torch. Coming in from Chicago, Illinois, Mr. Zach Haydorn. Welcome back to Top Rope Nation. Ryan, thanks very much for having me. Excited uh, excited to be back. And uh, man, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of great things to talk about, I think. It was. It was, it was kind of a, it was an interesting show, and we're going to get into where this one ranks versus some of the other offerings in uh, recent months. There's some stuff to like. There was some stuff to not like, but I thought the show was yeah. really bookended um, by two pretty good matches, and I'm sure you're probably going to echo those statements. But uh, you know, as, as we start to dive into it, I think what we usually do here on the pay-per-view reviews on Top Rope Nation is, is we ask everyone to give the show a grade. We do it on the old school, you know, A through F scale. Where would you rank Clash of the Champions 20 and or Clash of Champions 20, I should say. They <laughs> dropped the the, you know, don't want to get too close to WCW. Yes, gosh. Um, so, Zach, where, where would you rank this one as far, as far as the A through F scale? Yeah, A through F scale. I'm I am clocking this one out at a B plus for me, and 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 most of that grade kind of lives um, in the bookends that you that you talked about the opener, uh, the the triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental Title, and then the main events Roman Reigns against Jey Uso. Um, really, I mean that's those are the two talking points on the show, um, and you know if it was kind of stayed on that level throughout that middle area. I think it would have gotten into that A grade for me, but I think the show did, it did slow up a bit, you know, in that middle part. And so, but B plus is really strong grade for a, for a a B level pay-per-view like this was. Um, But, but yeah, it goes back to those bookends for me that those two matches were extremely well done. I know we'll, we'll get into them um, deeper here um, in a little bit, but, but yeah, B plus. I'm fairly close to you now. I, I was pretty, I, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty low on this show going into the main event because we had had the great opening match, but then in between I was like, there's just not a lot to like on this show. Uh, but I loved the main event. I think I'll still come in a little lower than you. I, I put it maybe at a C plus. Um, although our listeners are more in line with what you think, Zach, because uh, looking at our poll right now, we're 88 votes in on the Twitter page at Top Rope Nation. And uh, 49% of the listeners have it at a B. 
So uh, pretty close. Uh, we've got yes, their their check from me is coming in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's he's pulling the old uh, Chicago politics trick here. <laughs> he's playing with the votes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> some hometown God. cooking going on. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we got fifteen percent with the C. 25% with an A. So I, I mean, guess altogether, almost 75% are at an A or B. So pretty high on it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what Justin and Kyle will think. I'll, I'll ask them on the program on Thursday, but I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, but I, I, I really did like the opening match in the main event. Uh, I, I didn't think the show was like anywhere close to SummerSlam. I thought SummerSlam was a great outing. Um, I guess this is probably... To me, it's pretty on par with payback. I don't, how would you rank this one versus payback? Well, I rank this above above payback just because, and again, it's rooted mainly in those those bookend matches, but the main event in particular. I I really I'm grading this show highly because of that match, and, and not just not just the match itself, but because of everything that's on the table for WWE coming out of that match. You know, I think that's what we saw was some of the best work that we've seen ever uh, from Roman Reigns. And not only does it kind of put him in a place where he's most comfortable as a character, but it, it, it makes SmackDown an easier show to watch. And because he's lined up in, in the, like he, in the right way, you, you got the stories being written for him in the role that um, the people in a way that people are reacting. And that's, that's always a good thing to kind of line up the booking with how, you know, the audience presumably, I guess would be, would be reacting to him. I think that's important. And then I just think they have a host of different opportunities on the table coming out of this um, to continue this dark Roman reigns. And I think that means, you know, good television for the fans. And I think that means big business for, for WWE. Yeah, yeah, hard to disagree with you there. I think uh, the character work that Roman had going on in the main event, and even Jey Uso too. I think that did, mm -hmm. even even though he got his ass kicked, I think that this match, you know, as far as like character work and the great documentary they did on Jey Uso, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Uh, I mean, they really built him up as someone that you were emotionally attached to, you know, beyond what you've seen from him in, in the tag team division over the years. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back again at the payback card, and I think that that show was maybe a little bit more consistent throughout the middle of the show. But when you look at top tier ring work, um, I would say that Clash of Champions beat it as far as, you know, looking at those two, yeah. two matches. And I, I think it really that the answer to that really depends on, on how how you feel and how much weight you give kind of that that main event because some of the middle stuff on the show was not uh, wasn't effective and and was was sloppy um but i think you know by the end you know that's what that's what happens when your big stars come through right like you mm -hmm. know they can turn you know uh, uh what's a you know c minus level show into something significantly better um because presumably you know they're they're the best that you got so uh yeah i think you know depends on how much you weight that that main event yeah absolutely so we're going to break down all the matches here, guys. But before we do, let me get some housekeeping out of the way. So as you heard at the top of the program, we are members of the Blue Wire Podcasting ne Network. Check out bluewirepods.com for all of your podcasting needs. There's other wrestling podcasts on the network that you guys should check out, like our friends over at the Two Jabronis with the Wrestling Podcast and Fight Game Media. And there's, there's shows on the NBA, the NHL, NFL, everything you're into, movies, they've got it. So check out BlueWirePods.com. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be hearing from our sponsors, the good folks over at Deal Dash and Bet Online. So stay tuned for that. We've got some great discount codes to share with you. And if this is the first time you're listening to Top Rope Nation, maybe Zach is bringing in some new listeners for us this week. We'd love to have you stick around and come back and check out the show on a weekly basis. You can subscribe to the show wherever podcasts are found. Of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, one great way you can help out the show is by leaving us a five-star rating. And while you're at it, leave a written review. If you leave a written review and you leave your Twitter username or your Instagram username in the review, we'll send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. That's all you got to do. And we'll read that review on the air as well so leave us that five-star review a written review on apple Podcasts, and subscribe while you are there so i don't know if you saw the pre-show zach i did not see the pre-show 
So I can't really comment on, on the match that happened there. Did you happen to see it? Uh, no, I did not. I saw, I, I was I flipped on the, the, the network, right. As, uh, the match had already ended and I saw, you know, um, Cesaro and Nakamura walking out with the, with the titles, but didn't, uh, didn't get a chance to get in front of my TV before, uh, before that one started. You know, one thing that made the, this show so uh, kind of strange going in is that we had some matches scrapped earlier today. Yeah. So uh, Nikki Cross was unable to wrestle the match advertised against Bailey and the women's tag match with uh, Shayna Baszler and uh, Nia Jax taking on the Riot Squad was also uh, scrapped. And we don't know exactly why. I mean, there's people, you know, speculating because of COVID and all those things. It doesn't mean that any of those people had COVID, but maybe they could have been in contact with someone who did. Uh, but we, like we said, we had some, we had some changes to the card and uh, that made things a little strange. But as they got mm -hmm. off the air going in, they start with this great ladder match and Sami Zayn. And uh, Zach, I really enjoy this. I am a huge fan of Sami Zayn. Anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that. And uh, to see him emerge victorious with the Intercontinental title, you know, the title that he never lost, I was happy to see that. But I just thought altogether, this ladder match was incredibly creative. Anyone that's been a wrestling fan for a long, long time is uh, no stranger to ladder matches. And it's hard to kind of do some things that you've never seen before. Uh, but they certainly did so, didn't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, this was this was really well done. I thought it was the perfect way to, to open the show. I thought it, it set the tone right for, for what the show was going to be and kind of the the Clash of the Champions moniker, you know, just getting a really good title match right out of the gate from, from our in-ring uh, wrestling perspective. And I thought this was that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, to talk about each of the guys here, Sami Zayn, I mean, he's he knows his job in the match, and I, and I say that as with the utmost compliment, or as the utmost compliment, because man, that guy was selling like a million bucks. He made Jeff Hardy look great. He made AJ Styles' offense look good. He took a beating <laughs> in doing so, um, but he did. He knows his part. He knows how to play it, um, and he knows how to tell stories in there. And I think he, I think he did that. Jeff Hardy, I mean at some points it was tough to watch because you just, you just know the, the, the trauma that his body's been through throughout his gosh, 20 plus year career at this point. And, and so you, you kind of, at least I found myself looking away or kind of rolling my eyes a little bit and just saying, Hey, I hope, I hope this guy's okay. At the same time, you know, you got to see what Jeff Hardy does in ladder matches for better or worse. And uh, I thought he really, uh, he brought it, and when Jeff Hardy brings it, there's there's a risk factor there. And I think, um, you know, yes, that's dangerous, and I don't want to see him doing those kinds of things, you know, on a weekly basis or even monthly basis um, at this point in time. But, man, it adds drama and uh, intrigue to the match when he's in there because he's he's just – he's such a risk taker, and I think his ladder matches really are enhanced because of it. And then AJ Styles was just kind of the, just the glue that held everything together for me. You know, you had, you know, Hardy doing his thing. You had Sami Zayn uh, on the far heel side of things. And then AJ, I'm not saying he was playing tweener, but he just was the glue for the match, I thought. And they all played off each other uh, really, really nicely. I, I, I like that it didn't, for me anyway, it didn't cross into, you know, just a car wreck territory, right? Like there was some storytelling here. There was some nuance. Um, and then the finish really unique with, with the handcuffs and, and what they did there with uh, the handcuffs and, and Jeff Hardy's earlobe and, and AJ Styles carrying uh, Sami Zayn up the ladder. So yeah, I mean, it just, it really, it checked a lot of boxes for me personally when it comes to, to ladder matches and uh, it, it, it worked. And I think um, now we get to truly see, you know, heal Sami Zayn with a, with a run here with the IC title. I'm not complaining, man. I'm all in. Nope. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Yeah. yeah. Or, and then that promo that he cut, like I, 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 I liked that at the end. It was obviously there was not a ton to it, but it was just kind of, you know, it was a consistency to the story, you know, in terms of all along, Sami Zayn's been saying, Hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm still the real, you know, intercontinental champion. And then, you know, they try to change that narrative and he stops it, you know, and, and brings it back and, and makes it consistent again. And so I, I, I like that too. And I, we'll, we'll have to see where it goes, but, um, but this, this really worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. They got, they got plenty of time to work 26 minutes and 35 seconds. So it was a long match, but it didn't really feel that long to me just because there was so much going on. Uh, you did have, 
you know, your, your high spots, you mentioned Jeff Hardy. He had a swanton on the outside off of, I guess, about a 12-foot ladder onto Sami Zayn, which was pr- a pretty memorable spot. I mean, we've seen it before, but still, knowing what Jeff Hardy's been through through his career, that was uh, eye-popping, oh, yeah. to say the least. There was a moment where AJ Styles tossed the ladder into the ring, and it hit Sami Zayn, who was, like, clutching his hand afterwards that I thought was kind of cool. Uh, but, yeah, the, the handcuffs. So Sami Zayn gets out these handcuffs. He puts, as Zach said, it through the uh, the gauged opening in Hardy's ear. <laughs> just like nuts. And then he attaches the other end uh, to a ladder on the outside. So in order for Hardy to get back in the ring, he has to lift this ladder and carry it through so his, his ear doesn't get stretched out even further. And then back in the ring, Sami Zayn cuffs himself to AJ Styles, and they start <laughs> to climb the ladder. Um, but then Sammy breaks out the key after some fighting, gets himself out, cuffs AJ to the ladder, climbs up and wins. And and uh, I should say Jeff had also kind of like gotten himself back into the ring with the ladder at this point, too. But uh, yeah, Sammy Zane victorious. Very good match. Uh, like I said, Kyle and Justin were not able to watch the show live, but I was texting him after it like, you guys got to watch this one tonight. You'll like it. So it was start the show. A great way to start the show, and I was just—I was wincing as uh, as as Hardy was carrying that ladder over. You know, who knows whether it was actually in his earlobe or not at that point, but it didn't matter. I still was just like, "Oh God!" It made my skin crawl. Yeah, just watching it. <laughs> yep. So here's then. So you start really memorable there. You know, your next uh, your next match is going to kind of like set the pace downward a little bit and uh, kind of bridge the gap to whatever's coming later. But Oscar and Zelina Vega. It was okay. Uh, you just, it's hard to buy Zelina Vega in this role, you know, as a legitimate challenger coming in. So it kind of takes you out a little bit. But I did think uh, they did some stuff to make Vega look more legitimate in the match. Like it was very competitive early. It wasn't a long match by any means. Uh, but the announced team was putting her over, saying she, quote, was very impressive, you know, had a very impressive performance. Uh, they said Zelina is like a firecracker, small but dangerous but she was just not ready for Asuka. So after the match, <laughs> after Asuka wins, she extends her hand, but Zelina refuses to shake it. Then she bows. So you think, oh, there's some camaraderie here. But then when Asuka bows, she kicks her with a cheap shot and throws her to the mat before walking off. So I guess, you know, was Zelina Vega um, away from Andrade and Angel Garza? You know, they're trying to build her up now on her own. Uh, it succeeded, I guess, a little bit in, in getting you to take her a little bit more seriously, but uh, I can't say that I was very emotionally invested in this match, Zach. No, I mean, I wasn't either. And um, I think that was that was its biggest problem um, going in and, and, and coming out, to be honest, because I think I had low expectations because of this, the lack of um, proper framing of Zelina Vega in terms of, you know, what she's all of a sudden getting a, a a title match like they really just didn't set the table for that or a foundation for that or anything and so it was really hard to care about her or take her seriously like going into the match to kind of build some some intrigue and interest um so with the expectations at you know below ground floor for me i actually thought they you know over delivered to whatever to whatever end that that means <laughs> yeah but yeah. but mainly i kind of rested on oscar's shoulders I, I thought she really carried uh vega to a good match and when uh, zelena vega needed to step up and, and hit her spots you know they weren't overly complicated and she was able to to do so and so i think that it was short um it was probably as good as it could have been but i think it speaks to a bigger issue in terms of the way they booked this, which was if you're going to go with Zelina Vega in a, in a championship match here, like lay that foundation. I think, you know, what they did in the ring would have been more significant and more impactful had they, you know, set the table for her, give her a couple wins, you know, on, on raw. I mean, look, you got a three hour show that you always, people are always complaining like, Hey, how are they going to fill TV time? Well, there you go. I mean, give her a couple squash matches or, or, or some, some wins and pinfalls and tag team action. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It could be a multiple different avenues you can go down, but if you tell that story even a little bit, I think um, her performance in the matches is, is more impactful than, than it was. And then the angle at the end of the match is, is more impactful too. So they just have to do a better job um, telling stories in this part of the card. You can see when you have a good story and when you have characters lined up and you've set the table nicely, you know, the main event tonight is a 
perfect example of why that works so effectively. And they need to apply that, you know, at, at other levels on their card and you'll start to get more, uh, you know, better shows uh, holistically across the board uh, once they start doing that. But uh, to me, that was the biggest issue here. Yeah, that's a great point. You compare this to the main event where, you know, Jey Uso, you, you say, uh, you know, a month ago, two months ago, Jey Uso is going to be challenging for the universal title and nobody buys it, but they built yeah. him up. Now, of course, they got the family tie-in and everything, but there's other ways to build up a character and they can do, they can certainly do it. They've shown they can do it in the past. And uh, yeah, they just didn't, they didn't give you any reason to believe in Selena Vega going in, but uh, I don't right. think this will be the last of her in the uh, raw title picture. So we will have to see though. Um, you, know, you compare this to the next match, which is a match that we've seen many, 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 many times before. And uh, Zach, <laughs> I'm going to ask you something about what you tweeted uh, during this match here in a second. But this was Apollo Crews taking on Bobby Lashley. You know, Bobby Lashley, of course, defending the U.S. title. Uh, if you looked at any of the titles on this show being likely to change hands, this is probably the least likely. And in fact, Bobby Lashley did retain. He had Shelton Benjamin, an MVP out there with him, the Hurt Business. He had Ricochet at ringside with Apollo Crews. Uh, Lashley won with the full Nelson, the Hurt Lock, a tap-out finish. Not a lot to say about the match. I mean, it really wasn't anything different than what we've seen from these guys numerous times in recent months. But Zach, you tweeted that this should be the last shot for Crews. So as we look ahead to what's coming for Bobby Lashley, uh, anywhere that you want to think or where you think he would go moving on from here, any challengers that you would like to see Bobby Lashley face? What, what's going through your mind there with that one? Yeah, gosh, that's a really good question. And, and you know, yeah, I should have, Speaks I should have a lack of better. strength on the mid card. I mean, right. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. Yeah, so let's go with that and not me uh, <laughs> unprepared after a, after a tweet like that. But <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of different, oh, gosh, there's probably a, I'm missing probably like a key group of group of guys. I think a, a while back I would have said, you know, someone like, you know, Alistair Black would have been a good one, but doesn't he doesn't make sense anymore given the fact that that he's a heel. I mean, I, you don't know where you're going with this guy, but Kevin Owens could be somebody that I think could step in and kind of take on, um, you know, the the hurt business. I think he could promo well against um, against MVP, and obviously, I think Bobby Lashley is a you know a credible opponent for him. You know, he is tied up with some Alistair Black stuff, but I think you know that's a natural you know kind of mid card level. That, that that you can take things so he he sticks out uh my fear is that they pivot to somebody like like a ricochet you know mm -hmm. that's going to get the opportunities next when um apollo cruz kind of kind of fades um so you know those two are the main guys that kind of stick out to me right now but neither one are great options and it, it does speak to kind of the weak you know mid to low card uh that they have on monday night raw especially if i'm you know planning the the draft you know i'm looking to bring over um some some stars from smackdown that can help beef that that area up i think bobby lashley and the hurt business have built themselves into um a credible act that kind of deserves some some focus booking i think they've done their part in in getting over and now you gotta you gotta deliver them some opponents where they can you know make a difference and you know apollo cruz you know it was what it was for a while. I think he was really valuable during kind of the, the early months of the pandemic as he was a, a, a resource and someone they could count on for, for good matches. And I think he, he, he did his part here, but you know, clearly Bobby Lashley is the guy with the, with the higher ceiling, um, especially now that he's with, with the hurt business group. And I, I hope that they can, they can give him some, some opponents that make sense. He brought up a great point, and that's the draft. So we've known that this is coming, and they did unveil tonight the dates for it. So it's going to start on Friday Night SmackDown on October 9th and continue on Raw on October 12th. So that could shake up the U.S. title picture a little bit. <laughs> a well-needed shakeup, I think. I think Ricochet is probably, just based on how they book, probably the most obvious option. They always seem to go to the most obvious thing for the most part in these mid-card feuds. And since he was out there with Apollo and, you know, Everything that's been going on, that seems likely. But uh, I would like to see something a little bit more fresh, and maybe we will get that from the draft. We will have to yeah. see. Um, the next match we're going to get to here in just a minute had kind of a strange finish. We're going to talk all about it. But before we do, I do have to throw a shout-out to the two sponsors of the show, and that is our friends over at Bet Online and returning this week to Top Rope Nation, DoorDash. 
You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. That's right. Zach and myself are celebrating another Chicago Bears victory today. 3-0 for the Bears. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, Zach, the Raw Tag Team Championship match, another one that we have seen many, many, many times before. The Street Profits defending against Angel Garza and Andrade. Strange finish, which we'll get into here, but uh, the story at the beginning was that Vega, Zelina Vega, has abandoned Garza and Andrade coming into tonight. And, um, you know, I, I think to echo your statements on the prior match, hopefully we get something new coming out of this. Uh, I'm not so sure that we are, though, just based on how it ended. So I guess to work from the end and go backwards a little bit, um, we had a finish where, uh, let's see, we had Dawkins come in who hit his pop-up spine buster and covered Andrade. Andrade clearly kicked out at two, but the referee counted three anyways and declared the Street Profits the victors. And from what it looked like afterwards, it looked like Angel Garza was down on the outside with a hurt knee. Uh, there was some medical personnel working over him. And so definitely some miscommunication because after the pinfall, the talent in the ring was very confused. You could tell the looks on their faces, like what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like Andrade kicks out, but they count the, the pinfall anyways. Uh, you know, if, if Garza was seriously hurt, it makes sense to do this. Uh, but if you're going to audible the finish, clearly you should probably communicate that to the talent so you don't end up with something like this live on pay-per-view. <laughs> what, what was your initial thoughts when you saw this all go down? Yeah, my, I mean, my, initially my, my thought was, man, that's a big, uh, that's a major screw-up right there and a, and a big botch. Yeah. But yeah, once you kind of took a step back and kind of examined the whole situation. Yeah. I think there was something going on with it with Angel Garza, but, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you honestly, you obviously want to pay attention to that. That's important. You know, I think it's smart for WWE to not, you know, look, you don't want to push through and, and, and get your, get your talent hurt at the same time. Like, like you said, just communicate that to Andrade. If you're going to count the three right there, just, tell them and, uh, and tell Angelo Dawkins too. So he knows what's coming. Cause after, after Andrade kicks out and after the three count was already administered, you know, the, the, uh, Angelo Dawkins face, uh, facial expression is one of just disbelief and, yeah. and, and shock. Mm. And so like it, none of it really, uh, none of it lined up at all. It was, it was all over the place. And yeah, I mean, it, you, you have to communicate that that's part of, you know, you, I have no problem with him going to the finish and, and taking care of a guy in the match, but just tell him, Hey, look, this is it, you know? stay down, you know, and then we'll, you know, live to fight another day. So I, I very, you know, messy end. I hope, I hope Angel Garza is okay. It didn't, it didn't look, it didn't, I didn't see what happened, but it didn't look good afterwards in terms of how they were um, trying to, trying to check on him. The interesting part about this is that, 
you know, I, I thought the rest of the match was pretty was pretty good. Like, you know, it was it was solid stuff. And we've seen these these two teams wrestle, you know, gosh, too many times at this point. But I thought they had a kind of a nice little match uh, put together there. Um, but so it's unfortunate that it had to go down the way that it did because it, it kind of just obviously hurt the momentum of of everything. Yeah. And, you know, we won't know how much time they were going to get. I mean, it was only about an eight minute match. But in those eight minutes, I agree. Like it was your pretty good, like classic style tag team match where they're cutting off the ring. Uh, they had Montez Ford over in the corner and Garza and Andrade were kind of uh, taking turns working him over. This happened right before the hot tag that Dawkins and that went into the finish. Uh, but throughout the match, they were talking about how um, Garza and Andrade were working better together than they have in weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, hitting that on uh, Zelina Vega and her being gone and just helping them out with their chemistry as a tag team. So they were telling that story. But yeah, then we get that messed up finish. So I don't know, depending on what the word is on Angel Garza, you know, if 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 they freaked out over nothing and he'll be fine within the next couple of weeks, we're probably going to get this match again. Now, obviously, if <laughs> yes. uh, he's hurt long term, we're not going to. But they were definitely selling the fact that it was a controversial finish, which made me think instantly, well, we're definitely going to get this one again. But, you know, it's going to be it's yeah. going to the health. Right. I think you're right. I think it's going to come down to the health. And, uh, you know, I really I mean, the Street Profits have to put the team of Andrade and uh, Angel Garza in, in their rearview mirror. A lot like a lot like Bobby Lashley in, in regards to Apollo Crews um, in that regard. It's just, you know, they they're a team that I mean, I think has it. You know, they've got a charisma about them. I think they're they're a team that, you know, uh, Vince McMahon likes in terms of um, you know somebody that they can that he can push for for content. They can cut promos, they can cut backstage segments, they can do you know uh, pre-taped vignettes. They can have good matches in the ring when they need to. So they really are kind of a jack of all trades act that can do a lot of what Vince needs them to do, especially um, in the pandemic era here. But you gotta you gotta feed them you know, new opponents so that they can stay fresh. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, if they, if they come out on raw and, uh, you know, you're going back to Andrade versus, uh, Angel Garza again, you know, it's, it, you're not gonna, you're going to put a ceiling on, on what they can do. And I, I think they're, they're, they're more talented and talented enough to, to climb higher if they just are given a little bit on the booking side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So after this, we had kind of this goofy segment backstage. So earlier in the show, uh, Drew Gulak had won the 24-7 title from R-Truth. And he's doing, Gulak is doing this, this promo backstage, and then he gets attacked by R-Truth, and R-Truth wins it again. So he's been the 24-7 champion like 40 times now or something like that. Not a lot to discuss there, but it happened. <laughs> that yes. was on the show as well. Yes, my wife walked in. Gulak. Yeah. My Sorry to interrupt you. My my wife walked in right as this was going on, and like, she just asked, like, what, what, why is that guy dressed up as an old man? And who's that other guy? And what championship is this? And I tried to like go down the road of explaining what what this was, you know. And then and finally, I was just like, you know, it's 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 probably too complicated to to even understand all the you know you want these guys have showed up on Fox pregame shows and like it's just a a mess of a thing to try to explain but I finished it with just it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's filler and you know but thanks for asking though (laughs) (laughs) yeah I forgot to share my wife's comment sometimes you know my wife I can barely ever get her get her to watch wrestling but sometimes she'll make some funny comments as she walks by and during the Sami Zayn match yeah during the Sami Zayn match she looked over at Sami Zayn and she was like was he on Game of Thrones she thought that he looked a lot like Tormund Giantsbane from (laughs) yeah oh god well well done on her part he really does especially now (laughs) <laughs> I just busted out laughing. I thought that was great. But uh, I actually did a podcast. I need to I need to throw this out here. So our friend of the show, Derek Chappelle, he has launched a new wrestling podcast you guys should check out. It's called Rebooking the Role, where they take like TV shows and movies and they rebook the, the cast with pro wrestlers. And uh, we mentioned uh, Tormund on his, the, the uh, show I did on Game of Thrones. I, I guessed on that a couple of weeks ago. So check out Rebooking the Role. That is a, a it's a very unique wrestling podcast i don't think anyone else is really doing anything like that but i thought that that was a uh <laughs> it was a, a a nice comparison by mrs drosty so i wanted to that's that very well played on her part yes yes that's yes. great call so so after this we get bailey and she's coming out and uh so we still get her on the show even though we're not having the match 
with Nikki Cross. And I was actually very intrigued with that one going in. Now, again, that's a, a that's a repeat match. We've seen it all summer. Nikki Cross getting opportunities and her wrestling Bailey and Sasha Banks. So I was curious how they were going to do this without making Nikki Cross like look incredibly weak. And I, I even thought maybe they could pull a title change, but uh, obviously we didn't get that because Nikki Cross couldn't compete. But Bailey comes out with the title and she offers a ch- she offers a title shot to anyone in the back. So uh, before you could think anyone would come out, like maybe a Tessa Blanchard or anything like that, to really pop a surprise. In fact, we got asuka answering the challenge so at this point even the replacement matches that we're seeing are something we've seen many many times before so we got <laughs> we got bailey and asuka and uh not much of a match very very brief i think it was about five minutes bailey used a chair on the outside for a disqualification finish all this did was really set up sasha banks so sasha sasha was there and obviously she probably was going to play into the finish with whatever was planned with Nikki Cross, but she comes out in a neck brace and she takes out Bailey with a chair shot from behind. She beats down Bailey on the outside, but Bailey comes back and gets gets some of her own chairs out there and a kendo stick. But Sasha ends up gaining the upper hand and off goes Bailey. Now, more intriguing than what happened here, really, to me, was a conversation I saw going on on Twitter. And again, Zach, it was with what, what you were talking about. And uh, that's how this has been booked with Sasha Banks and Bailey. So I think most in the wrestling media have been pretty high on this storyline, although it has certainly had its issues as well. And I thought you made some great points on your Twitter page with uh, why you don't think this is really working with Sasha Banks the way it's been booked the last few weeks. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and I going into kind of what was inevitable here with the with the you know the two of them facing off and, and, and doing some, you know, big business together and, and a big match down the road. I, I was super high in terms of how they, you know, finessed the nuance of that all through the summer while they were as a team. I liked the little nuggets here and there of, you know, Bailey throwing Sasha under the bus and, you know, Sasha doing the same. I thought they did a nice job of creating a little bit of, you know, tension throughout the summer, even though they were the focal point together as, as a team. And I, I think, Look, if there's not that there's anything necessarily wrong with with what they've done so far. It's all pretty solid. Like the turn, Bailey, you know, turning on Sasha with the beatdown, and and that you know that was that was effective. And and Bailey's promo, solid. Sasha's follow up, solid. But it n- none of it is hot as it could be. And I think they the reason for that is the way that they got to this rivalry, the way that they got to this feud. And to me, having the heel kind of turn on the babyface, having Bailey turn on Sasha instead of the other way around, you know, you don't have that moment where Sasha's finally on the same page with the fans as, as a babyface and as a good guy in, in all this. Like she's just kind of the one that Bailey's kind of tossing around and everything's happening to Sasha Banks and she's not – controlling any of it she's reacting and, and that's about it and I think when you don't have that definitive baby face turn you know for Sasha Banks that hey she's figured this out now and she's on the other side of things it's like it's tough for the audience to get behind her because the only reason she's really turned into this quote-unquote good person is because the, the the bad heel kind of kicked her out of their their group and I, I think that's just a weak place to start uh, a babyface turn from it, it. It's not gonna maybe derail it fully, but I just don't think it has as much heat as it could have had. Is if you saw Sasha make the definitive turn, like, hey, this is the last time you're pushing me around, Bailey. Like that's it, and I'm turning on you. And I think they they just they missed that. They missed that that moment. And now you have instead of a a level you know feud for the SmackDown Women's Championship, you have, in my opinion, you know a B minus. B level. Um, and I think it just could have been more than it is. And I think it's hard to get behind Sasha right now because she, she looks weak as everything is being done, um, to her. That's a really great point. It's not really an angle. I had thought about this, uh, much until I, I saw your tweets on this and I know you've mentioned this too. I think you said on one of the torch podcasts recently, uh, but, uh, it's, it's hard to gauge too, without the fans there, but I think you make a great yeah. point because you you look at Sasha and she has been just kind of like strung along by Bailey and treated like crap for weeks and weeks. And she just put up with it. 
And you're right. Instead of her like kind of losing it and like, look, she's treating me like shit. I'm going to go after her. Instead, mm -hmm. Bailey goes after her and it just makes her look weak. Uh, I, I saw someone, I don't think this was you. I think someone in your thread talked about like this, this was similar to when they tried to make Randy Orton a baby face with yes. uh, evolution. And it's like, yeah, that's the exact same thing. Evolution turn on Orton, not the other way around. And, right. Uh, and it's yeah. like all of a sudden you're supposed to buy. Okay. At that time, like, okay, Randy Orton. All right. He goes from a uh, cocky asshole to now I'm supposed to like him just because like the other cocky assholes tossed him out of their group. Like it just doesn't, again and, and you know Orton was okay at that point but it just wasn't as significant as it was when Batista made his turn right like yeah. that's the babyface turn that I think Sasha Banks needed and instead she's on you know the other side and it, again it's not necessarily going to end bad um, but I just think it could be hotter than it is right now yeah great great point so yeah I mean we'll, we'll see what happens but uh, I, I think the crowd would have been into this but probably not as much as they would have been into Sasha finally having enough and and turning on Bailey so I, I think you're definitely right in that regard but uh, they got time yeah. to salvage it so we'll see what happens they do yeah so we had the ambulance match with Drew McIntyre defending against Randy Orton uh, a lot of people were speculating on a title change here that is not what we got but I did take issue with the way this thing was booked now it was kind of a fun match uh, but I don't really know, Zach, about how they use the legends here. I understand. So you had you had special appearances from the Big Show, uh, Christian, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair at the very end. And it makes sense given the fact that Randy Orton, you know, had attacked all these guys over the course of the summer when they kind of been going back to that whole legend killer thing. Uh, and they want to they want to get their revenge. But do you really want the guy who you put over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania so strongly? to need help from like four legends or three legends, I should say, to get the victory. Like, I'm not really sure that this is the right way to book Drew McIntyre. I thought it made him look kind of lame. Uh, the finish was strong in that he hit the Claymore kick. Uh, he's about to slam the doors on Orton, but instead he decides he wants to punt kick him, you know, get revenge for what happened to him a few weeks back. This, but this followed Shawn Michaels giving a sweet chin music to Randy Orton on top of the ambulance and tossing him off just moments before. We also had Christian, as I mentioned, backstage at catering, uh, attacking Orton. And before that, the first surprise was the big show, who uh, all of a sudden comes out of nowhere early in the match, grabs Randy Orton's leg. Orton turns around, big show grabs him, takes him to the outside and choke slams him through the announce table. So your kick ass can beat anybody, can destroy Brock Lesnar, babyface world champion, needs a choke slam, needs Christian shenanigans, and needs a sweet chin music to beat Randy Orton. I mean, did you take issue with this at all? Because I think this is a this is a strange, strange way to book a supposed dominant babyface world champion. And as as Kyle often says on the program, this promotion just doesn't know how to book babyfaces anymore. Yeah, I mean, this, I, I totally agree. I, I couldn't agree more and, and well said. I mean, I think if you're just looking at it from a match perspective, it was, I mean, it was fun. It was a fun watch. I thought they had a nice little brawl. You know, I thought they, you know, defined the, the ambulance match stipulations properly. Um, a lot of times I don't feel like they do that well enough. And so you're kind of wondering, all right, do you have to drive away in the ambulance, put them in it, shut the door. They were pretty clear, both doors shut. So I, I liked that part of it. And so it was, it was a fine, fun match, but, but the whole time I'm thinking, man, really like Drew McIntyre needs big show and Christian and Shawn Michaels to, to win this match. Like I just, yeah, that's not how you want to frame, you know, your lead baby face for, for Monday night raw. Like you just, that's, that's not uh, that's not the alpha babyface that that WWE needs uh, Drew McIntyre to be, and so I'm not. And and then on a different kind of arm of that argument is they didn't they never really planted the seed that like those attacks from Orton onto the Legends was really like connected to Drew McIntyre at all. Like yeah, Orton did that, but he just he did it in a vacuum like on his way to the Drew McIntyre program. So I, I just I don't think that they connected those dots, you know, soon enough that hey, yeah, the legends are still a part of this storyline. You know, I think Keith Lee was more involved in mm -hmm. the in the booking of this this match than than they were, you know? So um so yeah, a little out of left field and 
and made for, you know, a fun match to watch, but you just don't, uh, yeah, you just don't want to frame your baby face that way. And I don't think the match needed it. I thought, you know, you could have had almost the same exact match um, without that. And Drew McIntyre would be, you know, much stronger coming out um, than he is now. Yeah. I, I am glad McIntyre retained because I was a little scared they were going to do the title change and, you know, move yeah. towards uh, Orton and Edge being a, a title match long term. I don't think that's the right move. Uh, I'm glad that McIntyre still has the title. But yeah, you, you could have done everything you did with the Legends after the closing bell, right? Like Ric Flair was driving the ambulance. You could have had the match where uh, McIntyre emerges victorious and he's dominant. And then afterwards, you still show Ric Flair. But he like gets out and he goes and he opens the door and then he calls out the legends, you know, like a come on boys kind of thing. And then those guys all come out and then they wreak havoc on Orton. Yeah. He's already been beat. It would have accomplished the same thing. They all get their revenge. But Drew McIntyre looked more dominant. So I, I just kind of took issue with the way they booked this. Yeah, no, good point. Yeah, they could have easily, exactly, they could have done it even if you needed to have the legends involved, which I still think is a little out of left field. Yeah. But even if you had to do it, yeah, do it Do it after. It makes much more sense there. I, I think the other kind of shocking part of it, even once you kind of finish breaking down, okay, yes, this was probably a poor way to, to define Drew. It was a definitive, what felt to me was a definitive end to the Randy Orton story, right? I mean, like, yeah, he didn't get the Claymore in the one, two, three in the middle of the ring. But, I mean, the legends got their comeuppance. He hit the Claymore. He tossed him into the, the back of the ambulance. Um, he hit the punt kick to kind of bring that storyline full circle. And Ric Flair drove off in the ambulance. So, I, you know, I think there's some signals there that uh, Drew McIntyre might be moving on to, to another opponent, which uh, will be uh, interesting to see who, who that might be. Um, you know, I guess maybe starting tomorrow night on Raw. Yeah. So I, I think you should keep Randy Orton away for a while now. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep them away until uh, we're ready to start building towards that inevitable edge rematch. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. So this brings us to the main event, which we were raving about at the beginning of the program. So now we're going to close with it. And be before we get to the match itself, though, uh, Zach, what did you think about the Chronicle documentary on Ju? So if you had a chance to watch it. Yeah, I did. And it's um, excellent. I mean, excellent, excellent stuff. I mean, I can't really put it over more. I mean, um, WWE is good at this kind of thing. Like, you know, you can say what you want and we should all say lots about, you know, how they book raw and <laughs> how the fact that they can't book a baby face, but man, they can put together, you know, these, uh, these WWE network products and uh, really frame their talent in a way that makes them just look, you know, so likable, you know, and uh, it's a, uh, it's a testament to kind of their, the, the production. It's a testament to the, to the WWE network. Um, it's a testament to, to the writing of this, this story in particular. Uh, but it just did a great job of framing, you know, not just Jey Uso, who was the, the focus of, of the, of the Chronicle episode, but of his relationship with Roman Reigns within the framework of their, their family. Like that was clear. And um, it, it just did a, it was just a, just a cherry on top of what they did on, on, on SmackDown. It's like, uh, sometimes I think to myself, like, man, put this stuff on TV. Like it's, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's that good. And um, so, yeah, I mean, even if you didn't watch it, I think, you know, the match was still very good tonight. And, 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 you know, for all the reasons that we said, but if you did watch it, it gave you that much more investment um, when you kind of see Jay's story and his story uh, related to Roman. Yeah, no, well, well said. Yeah, WWE very rarely makes a documentary that isn't excellent. You know, they're so yeah. good at this kind of thing, like you said. And I watched it, last, it's only a half hour long, guys. So if you haven't seen it, definitely go back and watch it. I watched it last night at about midnight and I was like jacked up and ready to go right afterwards. I was so much looking forward to this main event after watching this. And I think they've built it well on TV too the last couple of weeks. I mean, Roman Reigns has been great and, and Jay Uso is just showing a side of, of his character and just uh, for, for lack of a better term, just his acting abilities, you know, the way he sold everything, his, his promos have been really good. His facial reactions. I I've loved all of this. I think if you look at the WWE's best storytelling this year, 
for me, three feuds come to mind. Um, we, we mentioned Sasha and Bailey, obviously, just long term that the, the slow build was great, regardless of how the turn actually or what happened with the turn. Uh, but that's been a great storyline. Uh, and then I think you go back to Edge and Randy Orton earlier in the year was a great mm-hmm. storyline. And then this one, which has only been going on a few weeks, I think it's right up there. I mean, I think that they have told just a great, great story here. And uh, as we're going to talk about it, it leaves so many openings moving forward after this. But, I mean, just the the, the family connection, ro- ro- the new side of Roman Reigns with the heel turn and everything. And then just in the documentary, seeing uh, Jay's background as far as like how he got into wrestling, uh, seeing all the footage of them as kids and growing up together and their fathers being wrestlers and stuff. I mean, if you are a longtime fan of wrestling, just even knowing who their fathers were, this is just so powerful. And you couldn't help but be jacked for this match. I mean, I was ready. I was ready for this thing last night. Um, So so we get out to the match itself. And I liked how they had the audio turned up so you could hear them trash talking in the ring. You know, um, you had... Let's see. I think at the very beginning, you know, they were kind of jostling per, for position. And at one point, Roman like throws Jay to the outside and he's yelling at him. How can you be the chief if you can't even stay on the island <laughs> with the ring? You know, being the metaphor there. He's tossing Jay around. Jay's getting all worked up. I did think what was interesting. I was comparing in my mind um, this match to like some other matches with family members that I've seen in the past. And you look at something like the Bret Hart Owen Hart matches where like early on, Brett would be like reluctant to strike his brother and it'd be like very mat based. And then throughout the match, they would get a little more aggressive, a little more aggressive, and then be coming to blows by the end. That was not the case here. Now, these guys certainly aren't really mat wrestlers, so it's a little bit different. But I mean, they were hitting uppercuts <laughs> right off the bat. Jay hit some great uppercuts. Uh, they, they were talking about is Roman underestimating his cousin. I saw some discussion on social media about should this have been a squash match? Absolutely not. I mean, I have no problem how they did this. I think, yes, you want Roman Reigns to look dominant the way he's been booked so far, but you're also telling this story that, look, these guys have been wrestling each other since they were kids, so Jay Uso knows how to get to Roman Reigns, right? Like, did you have any problem with Uso getting so much offense throughout this match at different points, Zach? No, I, I, I didn't. I really didn't. I thought it was I, – I, I thought it was – part of the reason why the match I thought was so effective was because it was the perfect amount, you know, they didn't go Mm -hmm. overboard with it where you're like, okay, come on now. We, you know, we've seen Roman Reigns dominance five, four WrestleMania main events wins over Brock Lesnar, you know, what have you, you know, you didn't have kind of that ever crossed your mind, but he got enough where it was believable. He got enough where, you know, you could, you could, just have it in the back of your mind that hey, maybe a, a a a nice run, and he could, you know, he could he could do something, he could get the win, and so that's I think they needed to walk that line to make this match work and for it to be effective, and they did, and that's part of the reason why it was so successful. Yeah, so it was kind of this story where like Roman would be dominant, but Jay would come back and have these little spurts. So there was one point where he was coming back. He goes to the corner. He's screaming, "Ooze, ooze, ooze!" And he comes in for a splash, but he ran into a Superman punch. Uh, right before that, Jay had hit a Samoan drop, and so they were kind of selling the fact that Roman was pissed about that, I guess. Jay rolls to the outside, and he's like trying to pull himself up at the announced position, just trying to carry on. And then they get into this fist fight that I thought was freaking awesome. Like Jay Uso was selling the hell out of these punches and Roman was too. I mean, Roman gets the upper hand as you would expect, but then afterwards they kind of like zoom in on Roman's face and he's like checking his jaw and selling that like the little details in this match were so good. All the conversation going on, the little, the little selling moments like that. I mean, Jay for, for all the offense that he got, he did his best at making his cousin look like a million bucks here with his selling. And I mean, I've always thought the Usos are a really, really good tag team. And we said in the past on the show, one of the best tag teams in company history. But I don't think I've ever took notice as much as I did tonight at just how great Jey Uso is at selling, Zach. Yeah, he's he was brilliant. He was brilliant out there tonight. And I think, um, God, you have to think that he uh, took some pride in being in the position that he was, which is Roman Reigns' first kind of heel opponent. And I think he knew he had a, he had a job to do out there and, and, and Hey, I, you know, it's my job to make, you know, to be sympathetic enough and, and make Roman look like this dangerous, arrogant, a little bit crazed, um, 
heel and uh, man he did that and it was it was big stuff like kind of like the way he took the bumps and the way he snapped to the mat after some of those uppercuts and some of those those punches it was small stuff with his facial expressions it was kind of the authenticity in terms of how he um how he addressed Roman Reigns is Roman Reigns is kind of standing over him, uh, telling him, Hey, tell the world that I'm the, that I'm the chief. And it just, uh, like, it didn't felt like he was reading off a script in, in what he was saying. You could, you could tell like if those two were, you know, 12 years old fighting in the backyard, like that's the kind of attitude he would have had uh, back then, obviously on a bigger scale, but it just, it just, it just felt real. It felt authentic. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in being that and playing that role well, yeah, you know, that Roman Reigns character now just jumps right off off the page and uh, was enhanced significantly. Yeah. So the kind of like the final moments where you thought Jay might have a chance, it, it came about because Roman had gone into the ring post. So it gives Jay this opening. He hits like this flurry of offense late. He hits a dive to the outside. He hits a crossbody off the top for a near fall. There's a super kick, which was like as close to a near fall as you will ever see. I mean, like the last split second before three Roman gets his shoulder up. Jay goes up top again. This time Roman dodges, dodges it and he hits a leg lariat, which I don't think I've ever seen from Roman Reigns before yeah. <laughs> for, for a near fall. The announcers sold that as like a whole new side of Roman Reigns. Uh, Roman goes for a spear. Uso dodges it for a roll up, then hits a super kick. Jay then goes up top and hits a splash for another near fall. But when Roman kicked out, he raised his left arm into like a low blow as he got his shoulder up, and Jay really sold that. Roman then hits the spear. You think it's over, but he shakes his head and he doesn't cover. And this is when all this trash talking gets going again. He yells, I told you to take the payday. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. He says, tell me, I want you to call me chief. Acknowledge me as your tribal chief, Oos. Do it now. <laughs> Jay says, no. Crazy. Roman shoves him into the ropes and hits another spear. He says, tell the world that I'm the tribal chief, et cetera, et cetera. Jay says, not today, Oos. Heyman's on the outside yelling, you're my tribal chief. And Roman says he needs, he needs Jay to acknowledge him, right? At this point, Roman just lays waste to Jay Uso with right hands on the mat over and over and over. Charles Robinson, the referee, is thinking about stopping it. Roman turns to him, says, this is family business. He threatens to knock. Charles Robinson into next week <laughs> if he has to address him again. <laughs> that was great. More right hands while he's screaming, acknowledge me, acknowledge me. He says, I've been whooping his ass like this my whole life. <laughs> At this point, Jimmy Uso limps out saying he's going to throw in the towel. I had images of Rocky Four going through my mind at this point in time, <laughs> you know? Yes, uh, right. R Roman Reigns then lays waste with more right hands and then he throws in the towel. Jimmy Uso throws in the towel. It's over via stoppage. And then there's comments like, this is what you wanted. Or, uh, this, is, this is Jimmy Uso talking now. He says, is this what you wanted? We're a family man. What the hell's wrong with you? And he's like, yeah, you're the chief. That's what you want. You're the, you're the tribal chief. Just leave them alone. Chill. And they kind of go off the air like that as, as Roman backs away. I mean, just the family drama, Zach. Awesome. That was a really good moment too, you know, and I think that just put a – accentuated the story of the match where you've got, you know, the other twin uh, brother uh, and other cousin of, of Roman Reigns coming in and just kind of kind of like just focusing on the point of, man, Roman, you're, you're, you're being a jerk, man. Like this yeah. is way – this is – you crossed the line. And, and it's like if you didn't get that story throughout the entirety of the match, you – you got it there at the very end. I, I, I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, just the character work, phenomenal. I, I think it just added some complexity to both of these guys' characters you know, moving forward, regardless of, of where they go. But you couldn't help but be emotionally invested in this. I think the stuff with the Usos will be probably referenced again, you know, even if Roman moves on to something else here. Uh, and perhaps all this family business Zach is leading to something maybe really big at mania next year, or if they can't have a crowd, maybe they hold it off till SummerSlam next year. Cause I don't think you can waste a match with this guy if you don't have a crowd there, but I think you know what I'm talking about. What do you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you got it. That has to cross your mind, you know, not, I mean, for one thing, just the, the Roman Reigns heel turn, just 
altogether, I think, signaled that, all right, hey, this maybe this is on the horizon. The fact that they're in L.A., you know, at the new um, stadium, or they were supposed to be anyway, uh, for WrestleMania 37, that's, you know, big market, L.A., big stadium, you know, you're, you're, the first instinct is, hey, is, is the rock in play? And if he is, man, you know, this Roman Reigns character and the success that it has right now um, – it, that's going to mean big business for WWE if they can if they can can pull it off and if the if the coronavirus will will let them pull it off. I think that's the biggest that's probably the biggest hurdle at this point. You know, I mean, if uh, well, gosh, I mean, signing the Rock obviously that's that's a big hurdle. But presuming presuming they have that done or they seem to think that they can get it done for for this match, you know, you're right. He's not Rock's not coming back unless there's going to be a stadium full of people. Maybe not, you know full to the brim like normal but you know you got to assume they're gonna he's gonna want to be in an environment that's not um that's not the thunderdome so yeah, uh, yeah i mean a lot hinges on just kind of the state of the state of the world <laughs> in april 2021 um so wear your masks people <laughs> but it's yeah. just uh but i i think more importantly though it's can you get roman reigns hot enough to where he can you know be a credible opponent for, for the rock. And they're on that path right now without question. Um, in my eyes, if they keep going with this and they can, gosh, if they can even get it even hotter, like that's gonna, that's gonna be significant rock versus reigns, uh, heel reigns versus babyface rock. That's, that's big time stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, here's to hoping. Yeah. Yeah. The, I should mention too, the rock was asked about this, uh, this week, I think. And, uh, it was, it was on a YouTube video and he said he would be open to wrestling Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 37. So, uh, there you go. looking for the quote here. He says, it feels like the one opponent opponent that would make sense would be Roman. He said about coming back to wrestling. Uh, he talked about how he would be honored to go back to WWE and share the ring with Roman. He even said that he quote would be honored to have him, raise his hand in that one so we'll see i mean he it sounds like he's open to it i it just seems like the natural pro, you know progression if they continue the family story and everything yeah. i'd love to see it but yeah you can't you can't do this without a crowd you can't bring back the rock for a match like that without a crowd so right, it, it's right. it's long-term storytelling we could get there eventually we'll see but i think it's exciting and uh something we would like we would all like to see so uh yeah absolutely yeah. So Zach, man, this has been fun. I really appreciate you coming on the program again. I mean, I would highly suggest any of our listeners that enjoyed listening to you. You're very insightful. I think I, like I mentioned at the top of the program, you do your own podcast, you write. I always enjoy reading your stuff too. You great mind for the wrestling business. Tell the listeners where they can find more of your work. Uh, absolutely. And thanks Ryan. And thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, you guys can Follow me on Twitter at Torch. That's Z-H-E-Y-D-O-R-N Torch. I'm usually pretty good about uh, putting up my stuff there. But uh, on a week-to-week basis, you can check out my um, weekly Wednesday uh, editorial takes for PWTorch.com. Usually they, they come up on the website in the, the early evening hours um, on Wednesday. And that's just, you know, an editorial take on a vast array of, of different subjects. I do some pay-per-view previews when appropriate. There's some... Uh, there's a piece in there about Roman Reigns. I have a piece in there about the G1, uh, which is going on. So just kind of uh, usually somewhat current event based, but uh, but not necessarily. But those drop usually on uh, on Wednesdays. And then uh, my VIP audio show for PW Torch VIP members drops usually usually Thursday or Friday. And that is a show called On the Canvas. And it's a show kind of rooted in the uh, analysis of the art of wrestling. So we're kind of taking a, a little bit of a – a little bit of a pivot from uh, just the everyday analysis of, of storylines and booking and who should win and where are they going with this guy and where are they going with that guy and just picking a, a current event uh, from the wrestling world and analyzing that current event from an artistic point of view. So looking at the art uh, within it. So uh, last week was a pay-per-view preview episode, uh, but the, a show that's up right now that I'm really proud of is a interview I did uh, this weekend with with Ben Carter, uh, uh, the AEW uh, act who uh, wrestled on uh, the AEW Tuesday night show, the late night Dynamite episode. Ben Carter, he's uh, been uh, in GCW. He's wrestled for AEW a couple times. He's been all around um, in a variety of different indies. So uh, it was really great to talk 
to him about just wrestling during a pandemic and uh, just his his character and his style in general. He he trained um, at the uh, uh, at Seth Rollins uh, his school, and so we got to talk talking about that. And uh, he was really nice enough to, to kind of go in depth detail on, Hey, what is it like to sit in a film session with, with Seth Rollins? So that was some pretty fascinating stuff. So, so I encourage you to go VIP you can go VIP and check out my show as well as a host of others. Um, I think, uh, I think you guys really enjoy it, especially if you're fans of, of this podcast uh, it's pwtorch.com slash go VIP uh, for those who, uh, who want to check it out. Absolutely. Good stuff. I am a proud VIP supporter myself. I, I don't mind paying for it. It's great content, great podcasts going up every day over there. And I particularly, obviously, enjoy Zach's show, but all the, the rest of them Thanks, too. Sir. Bruce Mitchell, Wade Keller. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think this will be the last time we talk, Zach. I'm sure we will have you back on the program in the future, but always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, man. And yes, let's uh, do it again soon. And thank you very much for having me. You bet. And uh, you can find Top Rope Nation on social media at Top Rope Nation on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Join our Facebook discussion group. Search Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion on Facebook. We got posts going up with a bunch of people. I think there's almost 250 users now each and every day. Join the discussion on Facebook.com. That's Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion. You can find myself on Twitter at Ryan Drosty. That's D R O S. T-E. And uh, I will be back with Kyle Ross and Justin Joint later this week. So until then, hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.